Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking again about the Kingdom of God. And you can't talk about the Kingdom of God unless you talk about the truth. And there's not much point in talking about the truth if you don't mention the lie. Because they seem to be as important as light and darkness. Uh, the lie is everywhere today, and so how do you know the truth? Uh, how do you decide what is true and what is false? It's the same way you decide what is good and what is evil. And uh, I, I'm not sure that this is a quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, but uh, because I've heard it attributed to other people, but maybe other people copied him. But he says, we know that they are lying. They know that they are lying. They even know that we know they are lying. We also know that they know we know they are lying too. They, uh, of course, know that we certainly know they know we know they are lying too as well. But they are still lying. In our country, the lie has become not just moral category, but the pillar industry of this country. And the truth is, is that we're not just moving towards Marxism and, and, uh, and communism and, uh, through, by way of socialism, uh, which didn't just start in the last few years. It's been going on since, uh, the beginning of the Federal Reserve. Uh, actually, it's, it's been going on since the, the institution of public schools supported by taxation. Because public schools weren't always supported by taxation. Uh, most public schools were supported by contributions of the people who sent their kids to those schools. And uh, other people who wanted to support the poor and knew that they needed some help in getting their children educated. That That was an amazing idea in America is that you would... Start institutions to take care of the needy of society. Those institutions were supported by charity, by free will offerings of the people. This was uniquely prominent in America. It was all over the world. Uh, like I said, even in uh, the beginning of the 20th century in the First World War, they needed ambulances. They needed mechanical ambulances. Their ambulances were horse-drawn when the war first started. And uh, people donated enough money to buy 2,000 ambulances and pay all their drivers. In England, they, they donated enough money to buy 2,000 mechanical, in other words, uh, trucks to haul the wounded from the front lines to, you know, hospitals, etc. And they were able to do this all with donations of the people. Today, we don't think in those terms at all. We think, well, the government will do it. Not only will they do that, they will pay for our our college loans. And, of course, the only reason they're saying that the government should pay for your college loans, which, of course, the government doesn't pay for your college loans. The government takes money from your neighbor to pay for your college loans. And so... The the reality is the only reason we are thinking that that's okay is that we already have desired and believed and uh, 
entertain the idea that it's okay for the government to pay for your child's education from kindergarten to 12th grade. So why not go on to college? You see, we already accepted the lie that it's okay to covet our neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority. And we think we can say that that's okay and still say that we believe in Jesus Christ who said that's not okay. Jesus Christ said, you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other, calling themselves benefactors, but they're actually, they're only giving what they've taken away from your neighbor. He says, it's not to be that way with you. What part of it's not to be that way with you don't you understand? He said this to his apostles when he appointed to them a kingdom. And his apostles were what we call the church. They were the called out. The congregations of the people who were baptized by the apostles, you know, at Pentecost and and before, they weren't called the church. They were called the congregation of the people. The church was the called out. And that's... That's just, you know, it just amazes me still today because I've read the Bible in the Greek and in the Hebrew when other people say, well, I went to church, so you went to the called out. <laughs> but they don't think it. No, no, I went to the church. The, you know, I, I don't know who the called out are. <laughs> but, but the reality is, is that's all part of the lie. And uh, the lie is comforting. And we believe the lie. And this is not new. This has been going on for a long time throughout the history of mankind. You know, uh, Goebbels, he was a propagandist for uh, the Nazis, for Hitler. He says, we do not want to be a movement of a few straw brains, but rather a movement that can conquer the broad masses. Propaganda should be popular, not intellectually pleasing. It is not the task of propaganda to discover intellectual truths. Well, of course, we see that all the time. Uh, you know, they had a symposium. Uh, uh, John Stossel just put out another video, Are We Doomed? And uh, he had on it... Uh, you know, experts in climatology who showed up at a symposium and wanted to debate some of the topics concerning global warming and climatology. Well, the opposing side never shows up, you know. They they send people like the science guy who isn't a scientist at all. He's an actor. And he, play, and he says, you know, it's settled. Well, it's not settled. It's not settled with those guys who are the leading experts in the country on climatology. And they want to debate some of these issues. But he doesn't debate because he says it's settled. It's not settled. And it's not settled about a lot of things. The gospel is not settled. In the, in the minds of a lot of people, it's settled. But uh, it... And it would be settled if you actually listened to Christ. But then again, if you actually listened to Christ, you would not be coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of those governments of the world that exercise authority one over the other because Jesus said it was not to be that way with us. So if you're the church and Jesus was talking to you, why are you doing that? 
You say, because we're saved by the blood. Well, then why are you drinking the blood of your neighbor? Because that's what you do. The cup that the government offers you is at the expense of your neighbor. It's your neighbor's blood, sweat, and tears that have been taken from your neighbor, legally been taken from your neighbor, and you want to benefit from that cup. You're not eating at the table of the Lord. You're eating at the table of rulers who exercise authority one over the other. But you still think you're a Christian. So we're going to look at a couple of lies, but really what we're going to do is get into Micah. And I'm introducing, uh, and have been introducing Micah. We did last week, we did uh, chapters 1 and 2 and got into 3 a little bit. We'll We'll review those chapters again. And we review them because so many pastors out there are the brutish pastors that they talk about in the in the Bible. They're brutish not because they're not nice guys and they're not nice talkers and they, they like to quote the Bible and everything. They're brutish because they don't deliver to you the whole truth. And of course we know by the definition of the word lie, the lie is mostly simply not the whole truth that's that's what a lie is you leave out an important part of the truth and what you say even though what you say is true it is actually a lie because it's not the whole truth it's absent something you know like here i can quote a, a pulmonologist uh, martin tobin who was testifying in the george floyd trial mr floyd died from low level of oxygen and this caused damage to his brain that we see and it also caused what they call PEA which is uh, pulses of electrical activity and arrhythmia that caused his heart to stop now that's absolutely probably true I mean it appears that is what took place the question is why did he have low levels of oxygen and I I saw the cross-examination somebody sent me the video of the cross-examination or not the cross-examination but the uh uh, witness that was a a, a former uh, employee of the state of Minnesota and uh, someone who worked in forensics. And uh, they were asked the question, did George Floyd, because of the references to drug overdose, did he die of methamphetamine? And the person said, absolutely not. Well, that's absolutely true. He didn't die of methamphetamine. Methamphetamine was in his body. He had quite a bit of it in his body. He had been taking it evidently somewhere along the line very recently. There were all kinds of other drugs in his body. Evidently, he had tested positive on a PCR test. All these things may have contributed to his death, but they were not the actual fundamental cause of his death. If those things were not present, would he have died? Probably he would have. But they may have accentuated the other problems. So what is the major cause of his death? Well, people can say, well, because he was arrested. Well, that's probably true. If he hadn't been arrested, he might not have died. Because if he hadn't been arrested, he wouldn't have swallowed the fentanyl patch that was in his mouth that he had been sucking on while he was sitting in his car just after he committed a crime. So, I mean, the police could have just said, well, you can go. We, you know, you don't really want to be arrested. You don't want to get into the car. You don't want to wear handcuffs. So we'll just let you go. Well, then he would have drove home in that intoxicated state and may have killed somebody. 
But I guess people don't want police to stop people from doing those kinds of things. I'm okay if the police stop, don't stop people. I'm okay if they do stop people. It's kind of self-defense. They're defending the public from people who are being irresponsible and have, you know, they have a driver's license, so they've agreed to the terms and you're not supposed to drive while intoxicated. And if they hadn't arrested him, he probably wouldn't have died that day. But then they're hired to stop people who are breaking those rules. That's why they're called police. They're policy officers. And the policy is you can't drive under those conditions. You can't rob stores with counterfeit money. And so they had to arrest him. If he had cooperated and got into the car, he would not have died either probably. If he hadn't swallowed the methan, uh, the, the fentanyl tablet in his mouth, he probably wouldn't have died because he had a lethal dose in him, according to the autopsy. But the uh, prosecuting attorney did not ask, did he die of the fentanyl? <laughs> so, and uh, and his symptoms fit exactly what the fentanyl uh, symptoms would be if he had an overdose of fentanyl, which, of course, we know from the toxicology report he had. But they just, the truth is not in the prosecution. Now, by ethics standards, they're supposed to, Ask to seek to find the truth. Now, because one side has one goal, which is conviction, and the other side has another goal, acquittal, we know that human bias may cause one side to favor certain elements of the truth more than others. So you have this cross-examination of the facts to to hear both sides. Because somebody is not really seeing the truth clearly about the case. And, of course, that's the case with the Bible. I mean, it's in there. All the evidence is in You shouldn't have to go and translate it into Greek and, and look at the Hebrew translations to figure it out. Because the Word of God comes to you by way of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come to you by, by way of your intellect. Your intellect is how you decide good and evil. That's your intellect. And you can decide good and evil with your intellect. But that's what got us into trouble, is that we were not going to listen to God and His Holy Spirit walking with us in the garden. We were going to decide for ourselves what was true and false. So all the information I give to you today about Micah and about the Bible is not to guide you in your day-to-day life is to show you that you have been listening to liars. You know they have been lying to you. <laughs> and and uh, they know they've been lying to you. But nobody wants to admit it out loud. It's kind of, you know, it's not politically correct to admit that we're all lying. And, you know, we know that the the symptoms for... Fentanyl poisoning, you know, overdose is drowsiness, you know, disorientation, a little dizziness, all of which we could see from uh, the videos of Mr. Floyd as he was walking around. He, they, they would guide him this way and guide him that way, and he was he was staring off into the distance. It, you know, he uh, changes in his pupillary size. Now you could you could see that in the close-ups, but you couldn't see it in most of the vi- videos. 
clammy and 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 uh, to the skin. Now they might have been able to tell that. It's hard to tell from the video, but blue color to the lips. It was very clear. He had a blue color to his lips, probably to his fingernails as well. I didn't actually look at that, but difficulty in breathing, slow, and even stop breathing. Well, he was doing that when he was still in his car. He was already close to an overdose of fentanyl when he was in his car because he was, when he was sitting in his car and they were asking him to get out, he was having trouble breathing, he said. All these things are symptoms that it's a fentanyl. So, but they want you to believe a lie. So they're taking you in another direction. All the media is doing it and they're doing it on a, on a pretty regular basis. One of the, the things about fentanyl is that uh, 75% of the respondents describing the symptoms of an overdose occurring within seconds or minutes. Uh, it, it can act very quickly on the body. And while we know he had that uh, fentanyl in his mouth when they stopped him, uh, we it was no longer in there. He swallowed it. And he has done that before. We have him on video and another arrest because he's been arrested many times where he had fentanyl in his mouth then and he arrested. Of course, he was making the same complaints then. But then it was just a traffic violation. You know, that irresponsible way of driving that happens when you're intoxicated on drugs. And they had the whole history of that. But the media... You're trying this man in the media. Yeah, you can go watch all the the video, but uh, it's uh, it's permeating a lie, and there's a purpose in that lie, and that's that's what we're going to need to understand is the purpose of the lie, and eventually, by the time we get to the end of Micah, we will begin to talk more and more. We're leading into that so that you will understand the purpose of the lie. But we'll leave the fate of those police officers to the courts. Hopefully they will come up with some sort of justice. We know in the final analysis that God is in control behind the scenes, but that does not mean that we will not suffer for the foolishness that we do today. And that's, of course, what Micah is also talking about. But since I mentioned uh Goebbels, uh, I should also mention some other things. Uh, I, I wanted to read this one quote. I only am going to read part of it, but it says, All this was inspired by the principle, which is quite true within itself, that in the big lie there is always a certain force of credibility because the broad masses of a nation are always more easily corrupted in the deeper strata of their emotional nature than consciously or voluntarily. And thus, in the primitive simplicity of their minds, they more readily fall victim to the big lie than the the small lie, since they themselves often tell small lies in little matters but would be ashamed to resort to the large-scale falsehood. It would never come into their heads to fabricate, fabricate a colossal untruths, and they would not believe others could have the impudence to distort the truth so infamously. 
even though the facts which prove this to be so may be brought clearly to their minds, they will still doubt and waver and will continue to think there may be some other explanation. For the grossly impudent lie always leaves traces behind it, even after it has been nailed down, a fact which is known to all expert liars in this world and to all who conspire together in the art of lying. So what am I quoting here? (laughs) Who am I quoting here? Well, that's Mein Kampf. That's Adolf Hitler. And he was laying out exactly how you could create a false pandemic (laughs) in America. But he was, of course, laying out his plan for Germany. And in his mind comp, he told everybody what he was up to and he was explaining how to do it and how the lie works. So you get somebody like Ferguson, who is an incompetent epidemiologist who predicts millions upon millions of people are going to die from COVID. The other really top epidemiologists in, you know, like Ioannidis and Stanford and, and all over the world, we had epidemiologists looking at the same facts that were available to Ferguson and saying, no, it's not going to be that bad. It's, it is a very contagious flu. It, it does move rapidly. It does have some ill effects, uh, especially on the lungs. But uh, it's it's probably not going to kill more than 10, 20,000 people in America. And that's common for almost any flu season. Actually, some flu seasons get up to 60,000, 70,000 people dying from the flu. Usually all elderly, obese people, some people with all kinds of pre-existing health conditions. But still, that's what you can expect from a flu. All of Ferguson's numbers had to be rolled back almost immediately because they just didn't pan out. I was seeing this. I was going to the actual epidemiologist. I was doing my own research, but everybody else was listening to the news. Everybody else was becoming afraid. And that was the, that's the key to the lie is to appeal to that emotion. And so they believed that. And they accepted the lie and they, they lied more. They had to fabricate more deaths, changing the way they count deaths and all this stuff. And they just kept repeating it over and over again. This is right out of Goebbels' approach to propaganda and all spelled out way back in 1937. But we'll be back to get you the truth in a moment. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And so we're talking a little bit about this idea of lies and propaganda and and how easily we are sucked into this. And, and of course, appeals to what they were talking about with the, the baser emotions, uh, the, the, the primal individual is is critical in this. And so this is why you're supposed to have trials where, you know, it's not a mob sitting there because people can get worked up when they appeal to the emotions and they they want to listen to the facts and you're supposed to have this order in a trial where one person gets to ask questions and then another person gets equal time to ask questions of witnesses to try to bring out what is the truth and uh, sometimes they're a little long and drawn out but supposedly you can't keep that anger up so you have to settle but unfortunately what happens is that people 
commit to an idea, they prejudge. You know, this is this this is something we have in this country that you don't have in every other country. France doesn't have it. In France, you're guilty till you prove you're innocent. In America, you're supposed to be innocent till you've proven guilty. And it used to be that the media would talk about somebody as a suspect or a person of interest. But now they talk about a person that, you know, they refer to them as murderers. And they haven't even been tried. You don't know if they've murdered anybody. Because <laughs> you don't have all the facts. And uh, that is just such irresponsible journalism. It makes the journalist a propagandist. And, of course, this is why... Uh, Joseph uh, Goebbels uh, insisted that uh, all effective propaganda must be limited to a very few points and must harp on these in slogans until the last member of the public understands. And of course, they don't understand. They've just accepted an idea. In short, Nazi fascism hinged on creating one streamlined, overreaching lie. The Nazis built an ideology on a fiction. Uh, the notion that Germans... Now, I'm actually reading Zachariah Jonathan uh, Jacobson, who is the Cold War historian. Uh, on a fiction, the notion that Germany's defeat in World War One could be avenged. And, of course, now we're seeing the same thing going on, except they're, they're not after Jews so much as they're after conservatives. But then again, the conservatives aren't as conservative as they used to be. <laughs> they don't have the same values anymore. Everybody has moved left of center. And everybody is basically a socialist. So the the right doesn't have the moral integrity to defend themselves against the lie because they have accepted the lie. This is the same thing just in the news before the show came on. They were talking about the elements in the Catholic Church have the, this divergent opinion. And, and you know, like I, I've joked before, you know, or people would used to say, in order to promote a particular idea, they said, is that true? And I said, yeah, is the Pope Catholic? And uh, because that's supposed to be absolute, is that the Pope is Catholic. But now we know the Pope today is a communist. <laughs> he he uh, justifies coveting your neighbor's goods as a matter of extreme Marxism. Uh, he's in favor of that, even though... Uh, uh, that would should be diametrically opposed to whatever the Catholic Church philosophy is. And there's a large elements within the Catholic Church that opposes this Pope, won't even call him the Pope. And uh, that that rebellion is going on. But even, and, and I have to agree with a lot of the points that they're making. They're also pointing out the lies about covid And they may even be pointing out some of the lies about, you know, this ridiculous trial concerning George Floyd. But uh, people don't see it as ridiculous because they're all emotionalized in their arguments. They don't want to look at the actual facts. And they have very little experience. You know, I've been in courtrooms since I was a small boy, and I I can see how things have changed. I can remember when the way things used to be. Not that they courts were always that honest back then. I saw the corruption even back then, like I... I've said my father was an attorney and he I know of at least three times he quit the law, came home with all of his pictures off the wall 
was not going to go back to the law and um, because of corruption. The good old boy corruption that is there, that things are pre-decided and uh, slanted and uh, biased. And of course, you know, one of my favorite movies is To Kill a Mockingbird, which shows you a prime example. Even a few good men in the courts could not bring about justice. And uh, today that's becoming even harder and harder because there aren't a few good men. Even the good side is tainted with a lie. And that lie is revealed in Micah. But another quote from Goebbels, you know, looking up and preparing for the show, I saw lots of different uh, uh, quotes. And it's amazing the things that he did say and say right out loud. He says, think of the press as a great keyboard on which the government can play. Argument must be crude, clear, and forcible, and appeal to emotions and instincts, not to the intellect. It is most effective when those being manipulated are confident they are acting on their own will. Let me control the media and I will turn any nation into a herd of pigs. Now, he said that back in 1937. And they've known about that for a long time. We, we've, the media has always been controlled. But, you know, uh, Mussolini was a big one for controlling the radio airwaves. And, of course, Hitler also was trying to control the media, uh, getting people to do videos and stuff like that to promote. And people were not used to it, so they were quickly carried away. But they're being carried away again. And one of the key elements of permeating the lie throughout the mind of the population is to blame someone else for all the problems. Again, back Germany was blaming, you know, their defeat in uh, World War One and the subsequent depression and everything on, you know, the League of Nations, which were partly to blame. But ultimately, if they wanted to fix Germany, the Germans had to look at themselves. But of course, anybody coming along and say, it's not your fault, it's the Jews, it's the United Nations, it's the British, it's it's somebody else's fault. It's not your fault. Anybody coming with that argument is obviously leading you down the road to dishonesty. And that's why I'm always saying it's your fault. And, of course, that's what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist didn't come and say, well, no, it's, uh, he wasn't blaming. We don't even see in the in the text that he's blaming Herod for all the problems or the Pharisees for all the problems. He's telling you, you are the problem because you don't think clearly. You need to repent. And that's what repent means, to think a different way. So another quote from uh, Joseph, I was saying George Gorbels, it's Joseph Gorbels. <laughs> so anyway, Joseph Gorbels, uh, it would not be impossible to prove with sufficient repetition and uh, psychological understanding of the people concerned that a square is in fact a circle. They are... Mere words, and the words can be molded until they clothe ideas and disguise. 
And that's exactly what has happened today. If we uh, have a word like church, which we just mentioned earlier, and you think, well, we go to church and we sing songs and say prayers, and this is worship. They even call it a worship service. But in the early church, they were actually feeding thousands of people, providing social welfare during times of dearths, plagues, famines. Uh, they were taking care of the sick. Visiting the sick wasn't going, stopping by and saying hello. It's actually taking care of the sick. I mean, that was still the case in the 1800s and the early 1900s. That the, the church would bring by food to people who were hungry. And we still do a little bit, but we had to go all the way to Africa because... Uh, or South America because in the United States, the people who bring by the food... To the hungry is the government. And the government are those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. This takes a tremendous burden off of the church. But it also makes the church not the church. There's a lot of other things that make the church not the church. But certainly going to a building and singing songs and saying you love Jesus or saying, Lord, Lord, is not doing the will of the Father. And if you're not doing the will of the Father, you're not really worshiping the Father. Because that's what worship really means. And we have an article up on worship, but we're not going to get into that. But another one of those words that we changed was the word religion. Just just a 100 years ago, but you can go back 200 years ago when the Constitution was written, religion was defined as the pious performance of a duty. To God and your fellow man. That's what religion was. If you go back to the Greek, the word religion uh, was threskia. And threskia was what you do. It's not what you think. It's what you do. Now, what you do will be affected by what you think. But religion was specifically the performance of a duty. Threskia was a performance of a duty. Today, religion is just what you think. And you go to church to hear a sermon, to sing songs, to say words, so that you think you're worshiping God. But you're not doing the will of the Father. And in fact, you're actually doing the opposite of the will of the Father. And this is why there was a monk who once said, socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. When you're not taking care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity, but doing it through force, fear, and fealty, which is the way socialism does it, then your religion is actually the government. Your temples are actually the government buildings. And Christ is not in you. But in order to think that Christ is in you, you need to hire ministers who will make you feel like you're saved. Make you feel like you're right. They will become your comforter. It's not the Holy Spirit who's your comforter. They will become your comforter. And they will have all the comforting words that say that you're saved. And it's not your fault and that Jesus done away with your fault. And you can go on now and sin and still be saved. But that's not what Christ was saying. And we'll get into that in Micah in spades because Micah was saying it. And we will prove that Micah was saying what God was saying because the apostles said the exact same thing. Micah predicted Christ's coming, but his prediction was for all the world. 
Because the same things that happened at the time of Christ will happen in the last days. And Micah mentions the last days many times. So, one last quote from uh, Joseph uh, Goebbels uh, is, What does Christianity mean today? National socialism is a religion. All we lack is a religious genius capable of uprooting outmoded religious practices and putting new ones in their place. We lack traditions and rituals. One day soon, National Socialism will be the religion of all Germans. My party is my church. I believe I serve the Lord best if I do His will and liberate my oppressed people from the fetters of slavery. That is my gospel. Isn't that amazing? Said this way back in in the 1930s. And of course, socialism is the religion you get when you have no true religion. And the reason you have no true religion is because of your brutish pastors. They're not telling you that Visiting the sick means taking care of the sick. It doesn't mean just stopping by and giving them a card and saying some nice things and comforting them. It's telling them the truth. Truth is not always comfortable. That they need to repent, think differently, and seek the kingdom of God. Not that they are going to be saved by works. We're not saying that. But if you have real faith, we will see the work. If we don't see the works, your faith is not real faith. If if you're not doing the will of the Father, if you're not keeping the commandments, if you're coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority, you're not doing what Christ said. You're not if you're not doing what Christ said, you're not following Christ. And if your ministers are not leading you in the way of Christ, In the way of the Father, they are brutish pastors. They are misleading you. And they have need of repentance. And time is running out. You know, you don't want to be a foolish virgin found without any oil. So anyway, what I've added this week uh, to our pages uh, on Micah, I have the original page. Uh, If you just look up Micah at preparingyou.com, you can follow along. But... uh, I have uh, Micah line by line. I've only gotten up to chapter or through chapter four. I'm actually working on chapter five. But I, I point out some of the key words in each of the verses of Micah. Like in Micah one begins with uh, concerning the watchmen and the double peace of God. Now, a lot of people don't realize uh, that they're talking about the watchmen, the watch. The watch mountain they, they refer to is the actual translation because there's a lot of words in Micah they don't translate. They leave them in place as if they're talking about names of places. And they're not actually talking about names of places. They're talking about uh, ideas and principles and uh, concepts. And so you have this word Samaria and uh, Jerusalem, and we've explained that. Jerusalem means double peace. Double peace means in spirit and truth, in word and deed. And this is the problem with modern Christians, is they got the words, they say, Lord, Lord, they say that their Savior is Jesus, but they're actually not doing the will of the Father. 
And Jesus said, it's not those who say, but those who do the will of the Father. And of course, we see the same rhetoric coming from the apostles after the crucifixion that, uh, and Paul explicitly has long lists of people that cannot inherit the kingdom. Because how do we know they can't inherit the kingdom? Because of what they're doing. (laughs) So anyway, so, and what they're doing tells us that they don't really have faith. They hire men, pay them lots of money so that they will, those men will tell them that they have faith. And, and, and appeal to their emotions. They're not really appealing to the Holy Spirit. If they were, they would be healing more people than they are. So, just as an example, he talks about, uh, Gath is the wine press and, uh, Ephra is the house of dust and that's why it says, uh, the house of Ephra, uh, roll thyself in the dust. Uh, because what's the dust? I mean, it, these are metaphors. The same as, you know, when, when people don't receive us, when we go into a city or a town or a village or, you know, like a place like Summer Lake, are we supposed to go out of town and throw dust up in the air? <laughs> I guess that's in the Bible. No, these are metaphors. And uh, the same as we're not really supposed to go down and toss tortillas out on the lake. We're casting our bread upon the waters has nothing to do with throwing tortillas out on the lake. It has to do with charity that you give away, not just to those you love, but to those you actually don't even know. And of course, that is absolutely essential in the kingdom of God. And that's what we see Paul doing. He's taking up collections in, in uh, Galatia or Corinth, and he's taking them somewhere else, or in Syria, and he's taking them somewhere else. And the people in, in Jerusalem don't know anybody in Galatia. They don't know anybody in Corinth. But what they're doing is actually casting their bread upon the waters and they're able to do that through the ministry of Paul who was actually visiting the people in need with supplies and and welfare. Why? Because Christians did not take the free bread of Rome. They did not take the welfare of Rome. They had created a system of charity that provided all their welfare through free will offerings, which is what we see in the Old Testament, which is what we see in the Old Testament. They don't translate Corban, Corban. They translate it sacrifice because that's what it means. And the sacrifice of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect because the sacrifice of the Pharisees was taxation, a forced tax set up by the Pharisees and through the the authority of Herod who forced the sacrifice of the people who signed up for his system of sacrifice, his Corbin. But that Corbin, any kind, which is a form of socialism, any kind of form of socialism, this forced contribution because you signed up, is going to make the word of God to none effect. And without the word of God... I mean, you can read the Bible all you want, but the word of God is to none effect if you're out there coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority because you're not actually following Christ. So, other words like Sefer that we see in the first chapter, which means beauty or fair, uh, uh, he says, become confusion. because, And that's what, of course, we're seeing in the George Floyd trial. I don't know how it's going to turn out in the end. But the, even the fact that they're having it is such a sham, it's ridiculous, uh, but they're having it because they fear more riots. And of course, they could have stopped the riots, but they don't want to stop the riots. They're letting prisoners go. 
They're cultivating homeless because they want to create chaos. And then when you have real chaos and real crime everywhere, then they're going to come in and say, we will save the day. And of course, this is all just a setup. And these plans were all written. You go read Mein Kampf and you'll see all these plans. You go, you even read some of the books by uh, Klaus uh, Schwab. Uh, and you'll see some of these things, but you know, the more educated you are, the more you will see how these are coming. So I've added a lot more footnotes to Micah 1 and 2, and we went over uh, those already. So you can go back and you'll we'll release those recordings uh, in the next couple of days, uh, I guess, uh, so that everybody can hear them. And I guess uh, those of you who have already heard them live. Uh, are probably up to date, but uh, we'll put all these on the website at Preparing You, so everybody should become familiar. We've already got many recordings up there. So, in that chapter one, they also talk about the graven images and the idols, and the harlots will be desolate. And of course, harlots and Babylon go hand in hand in the book of Revelation for us. And all the stuff they talk about, the mountains melting and all these kinds of things. Mountains are people that have come together. That's what a mountain is, dirt that's come together. We're dirt. And if we come together, then we're called a mountain or hill. And... Uh, and seas are people who don't come together. They're tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. These are all metaphors, and the Bible is full of these metaphors. And if, you, if you're if you only going to try to go by the jot and tittles and the letter of the Bible, you may miss this. But we're going to point it out, but really the critical thing is that you receive the Holy Spirit, and you receive the Holy Spirit when you're willing to admit the truth about your error, that you have made mistakes, that you have been deceived. This is... One of the key things in deceiving people is appealing to their pride. That they don't want to believe that they have been deceived. And of course, verse 14 of chapter 1 of Micah says, Therefore shall be seized by deceit. And of course, that's what's happened. We've all returned to the bondage of Egypt. And we didn't return to the bondage of Egypt because God destined us to be in the bondage of Egypt. Because we destined ourselves because we steadily, generation after generation, have stepped farther and farther away from the simplicity of the teaching of the Bible, which is to love one another. And of course, it's not loving one another to covet one another's goods. So in chapter 2 of Micah, it goes on to tell because of this fact that you, you've, you've done this Babylonic whoredom, you've returned to Egypt, because of the transgressions of Israel and Jacob. And what was the transgression of Jacob? Jacob devised a plan to steal his brother's birthright by getting his brother to deny his birthright, which is the, what the Nicolaitans do, um, deny his birthright and sell it to his brother for benefit. And, of course, that's what we've done. And then Micah 2 starts off with woe for those who devise iniquity, which is a what we have seen happen in America and all over the world. And we'll be back to get into Micah 3. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, anyway, basically we can see that in the uh, Micah 1... It's the watchman failed to warn the people 
their schemes of getting their brother's inheritance will bring destruction and desolation. That that scheme of getting your brother's rights or the right to choose for your brother, your neighbor, is going to end in desolation and destruction. That's basically, and those schemes will include what they call graven images, idols, harlots, and of course graven images, anything constructed by the hand of man, whether it's a signed agreement or a statue, it doesn't really matter. The statues just represented those agreements. We could go back and look at cuneiform writings that we see that, you know, that these nations uh, uh, like Babylon and and uh and or were run by contracts and that of course is another part of the the, the 10 commandments that you were to make no contracts covenants or constitutions with these uh, even though you could make a constitution the bible tells you in Deuteronomy and we go over this in Deuteronomy 17 that you can make a constitution but there are five elements you should include in those constitution and of course people fail to do that because those brutish pastors don't even know what those five elements are. <laughs> and even though there were a lot of religious men at the Constitution, the writing of the Constitution for the United States, they only put one of those five elements in the Constitution. So they, it is not a biblical document at all. Uh, but, you know, I'm okay with it, because it is what it is, but God was not okay with it. But, it's going to lead to desolation and destruction because of that. And, of course, that's where we're at now in America is we're on the verge of desolation and destruction. But it's because we've had blind guides. And those blind blind guides are still blind and they sit in darkness and they're not really telling you the whole truth. So that was the first part of Micah 1, uh, the se- second chapter of Micah 1. The people will suffer with no hope and be overrun because they believe a lie. That's basically what it's telling you. And your children will go into captivity. You will curse your children. All what Peter told us in the New Testament after the crucifixion, that you would curse your children, which you have with debt, and uh, you have yourselves become merchandise because you're back in that bondage of Egypt. Remember the bondage of Egypt. 20% 20% of your labor belonged to the government, and today far more than 20% of your labor belongs to the government. And that's where you should be. You're in the unrighteous mammon, and you need to be friends with that unrighteous mammon, but you need to repent, which is change your thinking, and start seeking the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God provides all the social welfare for the people through faith, hope, and charity. The kingdoms of the world do it through socialism. At least today, that's the way they're doing it. They're doing it through forced offerings, those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. So real quick, Micah 2, first chapter, says those that devise iniquity, these iniquitous plans like FDR's and LBJ's war on, on poverty and uh, FDR's social security, which was spread all over the world and other nations. I mean, Australia was doing it even before us. Uh, those that devise these iniquitous systems that make the word of God to none effect, to covetous practices, uh, will not succeed. Because it is foolish. It's this forcing of a sacrifice way back in the time of Saul would not succeed. This is why Israel was free will offerings only. But Herod said, oh, now if they sign up, then we can force the offerings. 
And we've explained that many, many times, many different ways, going through verse after verse after verse. And anyway, uh, the second chapter of Micah 2 says, Their eyes will be darkened, but the upright will hear. So today, many of the churches today, many of the pastors today sit in darkness because either because they refuse to see or they're afraid to see. And and tell the people that we really should be taking care of all the social welfare of our church, of our congregations, through faith, hope, and charity. And we don't just pretend that we're saved while we continue to break the commandments, defy Christ, defy the apostles who said that we were not to covet one another's goods, but we were to love one another, love being take care of one another, don't just visit them in the hospital, actually take over and start paying their bills. Without that sacrifice, we will not draw near, nor will the Holy Spirit draw near us, because that word Corbin comes from the Hebrew word to draw near. This is what draws the Holy Spirit to us, because it lists us where it will. It doesn't, it's not going to come to us because we say, Lord, Lord, but we have to actually seek the kingdom by trying to do the will of the Father. We don't earn salvation. It's still going to end up being a gift, but we have to be going that path, walking in those ways. So those that covet will be the enemy of the truth. They will deny these very basic, simple things that religion is a performance of a duty, that loving your neighbor doesn't include coveting your neighbor's goods or sending men to your neighbor's house to force them to contribute to provide you with free education, health care, medical services, all these things. You're forcing your neighbor to provide you with those things by men who exercise authority. That is not the Christian path. That That is the conflict. That path conflicts with the Christian path. And we've got our Christian conflict page to show you that's that's why Christians were persecuted because they were doing this other thing through charity and love instead of force and fear and fealty which makes you merchandise and curses your children who become surety for debt all of which is repeated over and over again hundreds of times throughout the Bible so now we're in Micah 3 and I have an outline there but we'll go right to Micah 3 because We're in our second hour and we want to get through this. And Micah 3 is full of all kinds of things that are just uh, wonderfully pervasive throughout the Old and New Testament. And he says, And I said, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment? Now, I don't have it in there yet, but I should have put in there. I can see when I read this. Every time I see this, these are so rich verses. Each verse is so rich. Jesus said, are ye not also gods? Ye also are gods, he says. He he talks about the apostles having this right of judgment. And does that make them the Supreme Court over all the people? No. Those who hear the word of love. Hear, I pray you. If you will hear God in your heart and in your mind, in your soul, in the depths of your being, you will become a judge. Because, not because you have the power to judge, but because you've turned over what is the judgment of what is good and evil to God? Because you're now listening to the Holy Spirit. Not listening to these words I'm reading to you, 
But you're listening to the Holy Spirit when he says, Hear, I pray you. Hear what? Hear the Holy Spirit. Now what happens is that when you hear the Holy Spirit, without your judgment, without your anger, without your fear, because you're fearing not, you're judging not, lest ye be judged, you're now just hearing the Holy Spirit. And you don't even have to say anything. Occasionally God will give you words to say. But you will bring judgment to the moment. And the judges in the courts of the world will bow down to that spirit. Not to you. It'll look like they're bowing to you because nobody else sees the spirit in the room. But it will bow down to that spirit. You, this is not a trick. This is just the way it works in the kingdom of God. And his kingdom come when you hear and obey. When you really hear the Holy Spirit, it becomes easier and easier to obey. It's not, you don't have this conflict of interest where, yeah, I know I should do this. I, I know I shouldn't, you know, commit adultery. I know I shouldn't sign up for social welfare at the expense of my neighbor. I know I shouldn't do that, but I really need the benefits. That's conflict. That's not Jerusalem. Remember Jerusalem, the double piece in, in word and deed. That is about practicing religion. Religion being the performance of your duty. You won't do it perfectly. You won't do it absolutely. But you will be moving towards perfection because with the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. But if you're going to deny the truth, if you're going to turn your back and you say, no, it's okay I covet my neighbor's goods because I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. It's okay I drink the blood of my neighbor. That to eat my neighbor, take a bite out of my neighbor, it's okay I do that because I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. Well, you can't be saved by both bloods. <laughs> you cannot, it's either the blood of Jesus or the blood of your neighbor. One or the other. You're going to have to choose. And this is, this is where we're at now in a time in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the Valley of Choice. Who hate the good, he goes on to say. Is it not for you to know judgment? Then he goes on in this next verse, who hate the good and love the evil, who pluck off their skin from off them and their flesh from off their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them. And they break their bones and chop them into pieces as for the pot. And as flesh within the cauldron. So where have we heard those words before? As flesh within the cauldron. Is there other quotes somewhere in the Bible that talk about flesh and cauldrons? Well, there's there's the one purse that we know about in Proverbs that runs towards death. This this we have a whole article on civic flesh pots. It's a metaphor. Uh this, this flesh pots is this metaphor, uh, first seen in Exodus, uh, 16-3, and, uh, where the people had been snared by the welfare of Egypt into a system of corvy bondage, but were able to sit and fill themselves. Once, uh, free in the wilderness life was not so certain. So, this is, this is where they had to go. We see this again, uh, you know, not only in Micah three three, which is what we've just read, but it's a theme throughout the Bible. It's because John the Baptist is saying, "Okay, you don't have enough food. How do you get more food? Do you go to the government, apply for food stamps, 
or do you go to church? Uh, because what, and when I say go to church, I mean go to the called out. And the called out will feed you like they did with the loaves and fishes. Or where will the called out get the loaves and fishes? Well, they'll get it from the free will offerings of the people. Because that's what Christ was showing them, a government of of liberty, a government of choice, returning every man to his family. So now you you go to the called out, and the called out, called out rightly divide the bread from house to house, as we see in the New Testament. They're rightly dividing it from house to house, taking care of the needy, visiting the sick, who maybe not don't have enough food, and they're providing that food from living altars of stone. We are lively stones that are providing that welfare in a Corbin that makes the word of God to effect instead of the Corbin of the Pharisees that was making the word of God to none effect because it was not based on free will offerings. So this this is where we're at with this. So we have Exodus 16.3, the children of Israel said unto them, would to God we have died by the hands of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. We see also in Ezekiel, which, uh, Ezekiel 11.3, which say, it's not near. Let us build houses. This city is the cauldron. And we be the flesh. Is Babylon not a city? The city of the harlot? That you're the flesh? They get to take a bite out of you? Because, why? Because you're willing to take a bite out of them. Ezekiel eleven seven goes on. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, You're slain whom ye have laid in the midst of it. They are the flesh. And this city is the cauldron. But I will bring you forth out of the midst of it. And he goes on in verse 11. This city shall not be your cauldron. Neither shall ye be the flesh in the midst thereof. But I will judge you in the border of Israel. Where's the border of Israel? Is that over there in the Middle East? Israel is where the God prevails. And we will see Micah talking about a place where God prevails. He calls it. Where, you know, where the sheep of Basra, Basra meaning fortress, and, and this is where there, there will be this called out. So, you, you can, you see these same words, uh, over and over again, you know, that this is the sin of, uh, Sodom. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her, and in her daughters, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor, and the needy. And that's, of course, if we were to get back to normal, or everybody wants to go, I don't want to go back to what you used to call normal, because there we had a fullness of bread and an abundance of idleness and complacency, and we did not strengthen the poor. We weakened them. As we've gone over many times, you know, you see the, the black families after slavery were the most solid families in, in the United States because they knew they needed their family in order to survive. Uh, the, there was less single parent uh, families among the black communities than there was amongst the white communities in the early 1900s. And this this continued for quite some time until the beginning of social welfare, first with FDR, and then, you know, followed up by the plans of people like uh, Piven and uh, 
and their whole you can look up Piven at preparing you and, and read about Piven and Cloward and their whole plan to get as many black people and poor people on the welfare schemes to bankrupt America. And of course, we're seeing that today. America is bankrupt already, but they're just putting icing on the cake. Trillion dollars here, trillion dollars here. All that debt is falling upon your children. Every time you get a stimulus checks, you're cursing your children more and more and more. Every time you get a benefit, every time you receive a Social Security check, you're, none of that is coming from money you put on deposits. It's all borrowed money from the future of your children. And I'm not condemning anybody who's receiving those. I'm saying start thinking differently, start turning around, start getting the true gospel out, the whole gospel out, and going the other way. Because your very souls depend upon that repentance, upon thinking that different way. So, uh, the flesh within the cauldron you have become. So, verse 4, Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. So, you can go to your church buildings, you can sing your songs, you can cry out. If you do not want to see the whole truth, He will not hear you. He said that in Samuel 8. He's saying that in Micah. He will not hear you because you've decided to break the bones of your neighbor and chop them into pieces and to eat of this cauldron where the people are the flesh. And so clearly Micah is saying the exact same things that we saw in those other verses that we just read. So, if you want God to hear you, it, you, this begins with actual repenting of taking a bite out of your neighbor by way of the teeth given to you by men who exercise authority one over the other. So you don't have to go and take your neighbor's house away in order to have a free public school. You have a sheriff who will go and take their house away if they don't pay into your public school. That's covetous practice. You're you're desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor. That's not love. That's not the love of Christ. You're pretending to be a Christian with that kind of love. So if you want God to hear you, you have to start seeing the truth. And then you have to start speaking the truth. And then you have to start living the truth. And until you do that in word and deed... You're not going to find Jerusalem. You're not going to be part of Israel. You're not going to be a part of his holy church. Uh, you're not going to be a part of his kingdom. And these are all different words that define different aspects of the same thing. You're either on the side of God, which is operating by faith, hope, and charity, or you're on the side of those who are the gods, many of the world, who operate by force, fear, and fealty. So you can go to your church and you can sing, but if you're still forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, if you're not trying to create that established, let's put it that way, God already created it, Christ already created it, but you're trying to establish it in your life, the operation of faith, hope, and charity to obtain those benefits of God, to eat at his table, then you haven't yet repented. You haven't started thinking differently. So, in verse 5, we see, Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err. Now, who are the prophets that make them err? Those who don't preach the wholeness of the gospel. That bite with their teeth and cry, Peace. 
And he that putteth not into their mouth, they even prepare war against him. Therefore, night shall be unto you. You will sit in darkness again, like they were sitting in the darkness when they were eating of the Corban of the Pharisees that was making the word of God to none effect, so that the children were not taking care of their fathers. I know many fathers who have full-grown sons and even daughters that are doing well in the world, but they still think, oh, I need, I need to take these benefits from the government in order to what? Take vacations, to have a good time, to do what? Why are you taking it? There's no money there to take. It's all borrowed. It, you're just being a borrower all the time by taking that money. It doesn't matter you paid into, you bet on the wrong horse. They're out of money. They've been out of money since 1933. <laughs> Social Security has never been solvent. We explain that in great detail, quoting the Supreme Court, showing you it's never been solvent. There is no trust fund. There is no division of funds. It is a Corvy system of statutory bondage, just like Egypt. And you've gone that way because your pastors are not watchmen on the wall. They don't see the truth. They err. And they get the people to err. And now the people are biting one another, biting one another more and more. And the mountains will melt, as Micah says at the beginning. And they promise them peace because they promise them to deliver them from their responsibilities of caring about one another. You don't have to care about one another. You don't have to love one another. You can just feign love in church when we sit together and sing wonderful songs. But you can still go out there and force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Uh, you need to repent that thinking and start going the other direction, which is very clearly what Christ was doing. So, verse 6, Therefore, night shall be unto them that ye shall not have a vision. You shall not have vision. You shall not see. And it shall be dark unto you that ye shall not divine. And the sun shall go down over the prophets and the day shall be dark over them. I don't know how you could make it any clearer <laughs> that we're sitting in darkness again because now it's okay to bite one another. I have dozens of scriptures from Psalms 107.10 such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death being bound in affliction and iron Iron meaning under that control, under that bondage. Isaiah 42, 7, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoner from the prison. That's where you're at, is in the prison. But you're not coming out until you open your blind eyes and see that we've gone the wrong way. We It said there would be a great falling away. Isaiah 47, 5, sit thou silent and get thee into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For thou shalt no more be called the lady of kingdoms. You know, the religion of Babylon. Micah 7, 8, which we'll get into later. Uh, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. And this is why Christ, of course, is saying later that he is the light. But we have to follow him. Because he was saying, you know, in Luke uh, 1, uh, 79, to give light to them that sit in darkness. So Jesus, you know, the New Testament is making the reference to this same sitting in darkness. 
and we are sitting in darkness again, in the shadow of death, because destruction is coming again, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's why the light is here. But the way of peace includes faith, hope, and charity, not force, fear, and fealty, where we should not be going the way the modern church has taken us. Matthew twenty three sixteen. Woe unto you blind guides. So you pastors who are not preaching the whole gospel, you are the blind guides that cause the people to err. You say, Lord, Lord, but you're not doing the will of the Father. You're not keeping the commandments of Christ, of the Father. They are the same command, same commandments that uh, Paul mentions. Saying that if you're not keeping these things over here, coveting your neighbor's goods, is that you're not going to inherit the kingdom. And and same with James. It, by what you're doing, we know whether you have real faith or not. And Matthew twenty three seventeen, ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold of the temple, the benefits of social security uh, that sanctifieth you? Is that what? That's what you're looking for, you know, all the way through uh, 2317, 2319, 2324. Ye blind guides, which strain at gnats and swallow a camel. You've swallowed the ways in the bondage of Egypt. You've accepted that. Now, I'm not saying you don't pay the unrighteous mammon tax. You do have to pay it. But you should repent, seek the kingdom of God. Like John the Baptist said, like Jesus said. We'll finish this up when we come back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So this whole idea of Jesus talking about, uh, speaking of the parables of the blind leading the blind in Luke 6.39 and and uh, coming to, you know, heal the brokenhearted and, and preach deliverance. Uh, like I say, I don't know anybody personally who died of COVID, but I know people who committed suicide. And, uh, during this whole pandemic, uh, it is killing it, my own son who, uh, uh, is in charge, one of my sons is in charge of highways. He, he was devastated at the number of people that were jumping off of bridges during just the first few months of these COVID shutdowns. It is phenomenal. More people in one month than normally in a whole year. They had to put uh, police guards on bridges all over the state because people were just killing themselves. Young people were killing themselves because this shutdown is so unnatural and so unnerving and so frightening and and all this stuff. But they couldn't report it in the news because then you'd have people lining up on those bridges. Uh, they are destroying your society. And we could see that something was going on early on. We had show after show. We mentioned it even though we're in Bible studies of what's going on behind the scenes because we are the watchmen on the wall. Whether you believe it or not, or, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's what my name means. That was the name that they gave me as a child. Gregory means watchman. And I could see this. I don't, I'm shocked that other people can't see it. I know why they can't see it. It's because they do error. And they do error in part because the ones who should be the watchmen on the wall are preaching half a gospel. They are part of the propaganda. And they are not telling the whole truth. And even though they begin to see some of these things, 
that you, until it's the whole truth, it's not the truth. In Second Peter 2.18 it says, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. Early America, no social welfare except by free will offerings through churches and philanthropic organizations and just the charity of one neighbor to the next. I mean, I could tell you stories, hundreds of stories of how people took care of the elderly in their community. Everything. Their food, everything. Of course, they weren't they weren't taxing them out of their house. We have an elderly lady in the community uh, who we take care of uh, a great deal of the time. Uh, yeah, she gets Social Security, but she's also taxed. The taxes on her shack is higher than the taxes on the house that I'm sitting in right now. It's ridiculous, and uh, it's it's an injustice. And everybody sending their kids to public school are a part of that sin of robbing that widow of her home. She pays the tax, and she can because the government pays her, but the government pays her because it borrows money against the future of her children. We are in iniquity. The people who devise the system are the transgressors of Jacob. They're stealing your birthright away. You deserve to have it stolen away because you're committing the sin of Esau. What was the sin of Esau? He despised his inheritance. He despised the dominion, the right to choose that God gave him as his birthright and sold it for benefits. So we got the transgressions of Jacob who devised such plans. But we have the sin of Esau, which again, like I said, is the sin of the Nicolaitans, who are conquered by their wantonness, by their desire for those benefits. And they are suckered into this by the great swelling words that not only come from people like FDR, but come from the churches as well. And Jude 1.16, these are murmurs, complainers, walking after their own lusts. And their smooth mouth speaks great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. What's that advantage? That's the word for profit. For profit. The one purse people. Let's devise that we lurk privately for blood. You read our article on one purse. One purse, that's out of Proverbs. They lurk privately for blood. And they are snared in their own net. But behold, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. But you haven't remembered those words. You Through covetous practices, you become merchandise. You've made your congregations merchandise. You've cursed your children with debt, all of which Peter said you would do because you're again entangled in the elements of the world, the systems of government that exercise authority and provide you the benefits the church should be providing through the free will offerings of the people and and sons taking care of their parents and honoring their parents. That's what it means to honor your parents, to take care of them, to fatten them. You're not doing that. And you're not doing it because these pastors are brutish pastors who err and are blind guides and not teaching the whole truth as God intended. And we need to repent of that today. 
<laughs> and turn around and start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Verse 7, Then shall the seers be ashamed and the diviners confounded. Yea, they shall all cover their lips for there is no answer of God. Yeah, that's right. They're They're not seeing what is coming. They're not understanding what is coming because they are blind and they they are not the watchmen on the wall that they need to be. And Jude goes on to say in verse 18, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last times who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves Sensual having not the spirit, not the Holy Spirit, spirit of emotion, yes, but not the Holy Spirit. But ye behold, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves, now this is his advice, in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference. That's what we should be doing is trying to make a difference in our little feeble ways. And God will make up the difference. Uh, we, we cannot change the course of events, but we can decide what side we're going to be on. Verse 23, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now... Unto him that is able to keep you from falling. He's talking to Christians who are providing all the social welfare for their community through faith, hope, and charity. He's not talking to those of the world who depended upon the free bread of Rome. Because the free bread of Rome was not provided by the lively stones of Christ operating through that faith, hope, and charity, but by the dead stones of men who exercise authority one over the other and force the contributions of the people. This is this is the conflict between true Christianity and the rest of the world. But your brutish pastors have dimmed the those lines and dimmed the truth of that gospel, which is the gospel of Christ. So now in verse 8, we start a new paragraph. But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression. So I'm declaring unto FDR and LBJ and Cloward and Piven their transgression of trying to steal the birthright of choice, the, the, the right to the liberty under God from the people by devising these iniquitous systems of socialism that's not just coming in with your present, you know, high school graduates, 75% of your high school graduates think socialism is a good form of government. We even have our storekeeper down here saying socialism is when you have a cow and you have to share it with your neighbor. (laughs) No, it's when you have three guys And one guy's got a gun and he makes you share your cow with your neighbor who's sitting around smoking dope (laughs) instead of working. (laughs) That's socialism. You know, that's why vodka is the big selling item in the Soviet Union. At least it used to be. Now they're kind of moving a little bit back towards capitalism. 
But the reality is that all the instrumentality of tyranny is still in place. We've been putting it in place in America for decades upon decades upon decades. But now you all find yourself in this valley of decision. You've got to decide which way you're going to go. And the beautiful thing is, is that if the churches were doing what they're supposed to be doing, you could start moving in the direction of taking care of all the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. And the Holy Spirit would be drawn near you in that personal sacrifice because now there's room in your heart for the real Christ, not just the emotional Christ that they often preach in churches, but the real Christ. And you would see the Word of God taking true effect. And you will need that because you're about to see the Word of Satan taking effect in the world. And you have not made your decision as to what side of the gospel you want to be on. The gospel of Joseph Goebbels or the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he says, declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. What is the sin of Israel? They sold their birthright, like Esau, for benefits at the expense of their neighbor and for debt. They became sureties for debt. You've done it too. Because your pastors are not preaching the whole gospel. So in verse 9 he says, Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob, ye princes of the house of Israel, that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. They build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. That's not the real Jerusalem. It's the fake Jerusalem. They do it through these covetous practices. You're not, you're not saved by the blood if you're drinking the, you know, a cup of blood of your neighbor. If, if that is what you seek after is the benefits of the world, the wages of unrighteousness. They build up Zion with the blood of their neighbor and Jerusalem with the iniquities of Jacob, stealing the birthright of their neighbor through systems of covetous practices. Verse 11, the heads thereof judge for reward. The priests thereof teach for hire. And the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountains of the house as high places of the forest." You know, the high places of the forest. Now, what is that? Well, I could give give you a, a nature lesson. But the point is, we're going the wrong way. And it's not real Jerusalem. It's the fake Jerusalem. It's not the real church that people are going to. It's the fake church they're going to. You know, Matthew 7.22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. What what iniquity? The iniquity that you devised. To take care of all social welfare through exercising authorities. One over the other. 
By forcing your neighbor to contribute to what you want. By living in the wantonness and avarice of, and the foolishness of Saul and, and Herod and Egypt and Babylon. That is the mystery of Babylon. It's not a mystery. You're in the midst of it. You need to repent. Think differently. You're not, there's no way out. There is no hope that you can conjure up with your works. But you need to think differently and walk differently and God will open up that path for you. Stop being afraid of the whole truth and start seeing the truth as it really is. Verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Are you doing them? You know, Matthew 7.21, which is the context of 22, it started out, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. He's, he's saying that. It's, it's not just because that's before the crucifixion. That somehow Jesus, it all changed after the crucifixion. Not what Jesus was saying. He knew what was coming. He's telling you how it works in the kingdom of God. And how you need to do what the kingdom of God is telling you and the gospel is telling you to do. Matthew twenty five eleven. afterwards came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Remember the foolish virgins? No oil. Why? How do you get oil? Where do you get the oil from? It's doing the will of the Father. Making those days. You're not going to do enough sacrifice to get you into the kingdom. But if you're going to go contrary to the words of Christ, you're not following Christ. You're following your own imagination. That That's your graven image. You've created an image of Christ. And you worship that image of Christ. But it's not the real Christ. Because the real Christ was telling you. That you're not to be these workers of iniquity. In Luke 6, uh, uh, verse 46, And why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Luke 13, 25, When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut the door, and you begin to stand out and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say, Unto you, I know you not, whence ye are. And he's telling you. Even John fourteen fifteen, It says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And in fifteen ten, he says, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. And in the epistles, First John 2, 3, And hereby we do know that we know him, If we keep his commandments. Coveting your neighbor's goods is not keeping his commandments. Not gathering in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so that you can take care of one another in faith, hope, and charity is not keeping his commandments because that's the one place where he commanded his disciples, his to-be ministers of his church, to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And of course, that is why Paul was able to go to Corinth and go to Galatia and go to Ephesus and redistribute the wealth of the people freely given. 
because they were sitting in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and organized in that way that Christ commanded. And that's the way the early church was for years and years. But the, there were churches that came along established by other men that took that knowledge away from you. But it's right there in the text. That he commanded, there was no no daily ministration until the people sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because that, that's what Christ said to do. So, you know, you can read in John's epistle, first epistle, uh, chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. You can even go to Matthew uh, 19.17 and he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, that eternal life, keep the commandments. But now the pastors are saying, no, you don't have to keep the commandments. You just have to believe in the image of Jesus I hold up. (laughs) But not in the real Jesus? No, you have to believe in the real Jesus and what he really said and the way that he really said. Otherwise, you will end up back entangled again in the elements of the world, which you have. Otherwise, you will curse your children with trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars in debt and return them not only to the bondage of Egypt, but to Babylon itself. Your children are being graduated from your public schools believing that coveting your neighbor's goods is a good form of government. That, that, why are the people, why are there no young people in your churches? Well, well, there are some, but why are so many young people, so many people falling away from your churches? They got socialism. They got the, the religion of Joseph Goebbels. They, they got his religion that we talked about at the beginning of the show. That his religion was socialism. Socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion because religion is how you perform your duty to God and your fellow man. And your duty to your fellow man is to love your fellow man as yourself. So how is it loving yourself to say, I'm going to take away your house if you don't fund my socialist education for my children. Now, none of you would say that, but all of you say that. Because all of you do that. I don't know about all of you, but many of you, most of you. But you do it in many cases. I don't know what the numbers are. God knows the numbers. I don't need to count. But I know in many cases people are doing that because their brutish pastors are not preaching the whole gospel because they are blind guides and they have need of repentance. They need to turn around and go the other way. So if you go to preparingyou.com, you can see these studies and we will eventually put our audios up there uh, as time permits. But uh, those who hate the good and love the evil and bite one another, you don't want to be a part of that. You don't want to eat the flesh of my people. You don't want to break the bones of your neighbor. You don't want to take a bite out of one another. Because you will be devoured, and most of you have been devoured. But God, in his mercy, is sending you a watchman that is telling you that you have been sitting in darkness. And you need to turn around and go the other way. And start preaching the whole gospel of Christ. Not just be nice guys. Otherwise, you wouldn't have fallen for this COVID nonsense. You wouldn't fall for all the the great reset and the economy, inflation. And you would not be dry bones. We have a whole article on dry bones. 
which is another part of the same type of prophecy where where you you have this valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37.1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit. Ezekiel was an amazing prophet. I mean, he was actually like a time traveler or something because he would actually go to these places and describe them the best he could. Just amazing. And we've we've done a lot on Ezekiel already in the past. But that is where the people are at today is this down in the midst of this valley which was full of bones. But the prophecy is a good prophecy. That's where we're at. They said there would be a great falling away and there has been a great falling away. But the prophecy is that these bones, these dry bones, can hear the word of the Lord. They can live again. They can stand upright and flesh can come on them. And of course that is what Micah is getting into is that the there will be this remnant, and we will get into that when we go through the other chapters. We'll have to do it on this afternoon's show, so we're not going to get into four. But uh, go read our article on dry bones and begin to understand what that means. And We've laid out how the early church was formed, and we show you how that would look today in the free books that we have online, like the Free Church Report. It explains that so many things that the modern church has been kept from them the same as your, the history has been kept from your children in your schools. I have a collection of school books from, from back in the 1800s all the way to now, and you see them just altering history so that kids don't understand it. And now they're preaching a history of hate. But we'll have to continue this another time. Until then, I'm just going to say peace on your house and God be with you. Join us on the network. Until then, God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.